Welcome to the Scott and Soup Project Podcast, where we journal our wandering into the realm of helping others. We are currently using our time and talents to tackle the problem of homelessness in our community. Hello, Scott. Hi, Sue. How are you? I am good. I hear you are in Portland. How how is things there? Oh yeah, no, I'm here. We're visiting my sister. Um, things are good. It's cold, not raining. I think it might be raining today, but we're having a good time. But it is interesting being here because it's pretty relevant to our focus on this podcast. What? Um, yeah. Very. So do you see homelessness there? Yeah, yeah, it has its own very visible issue with homelessness. Um, we're currently staying in a hotel in downtown, and it's interesting to see all the tents just on the sidewalk in the parks, just everywhere. Um, just people who are struggling with homelessness here in Portland. And yesterday we were at a park and we had a, a bit of an interaction with somebody who's homeless who came and kind of confronted us. And, uh, and, you know, it was easy for us to kind of otherize this person and think of them as a separate population um, rather than just another human being. And perhaps they felt the same way about us or I, I'm not sure what was going through the person's head, but mm -hmm. yeah, it was interesting to see this very visible um, manifestation of this problem in ways I, I'm not used to seeing it in in Arizona. Okay. Wow. Um, well, I, it brought up this uh, memory in, in, I was reading about homelessness in Japan mm -hmm. and it, it says you don't typically see homeless people in Japan. They're very hidden. Um, First of all, it is a, a lower number of homelessness in Japan, but it also said they will live in the park, but when the day comes, they pack them their things up and they essentially disappear. They leave the park. And so they're not conf confrontational, they are invisible. But I'm hearing in Portland now, it is um, the opposite, where they're taking over. Yeah, I was talking to my sister. I think it really blew up a little bit because of COVID and maybe some of the Black Lives Matter protests that happened famously here, where they just really stopped policing the homeless here in downtown. And so they just kind of took over. And like I said, Walking down a sidewalk, you inevitably have to walk right past somebody's tent. Um, so their little home that they staked out, these very public places. And it's, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm not sure what to think about it. I, I think living as I do in Tempe, I used to see homeless, and I, you still see homeless people occasionally, but they're much, I don't know what happened to them. I, I, I don't see them nearly as often, and it's certainly not like this. Okay. Um, yeah. One thing I that hit me with Portland is tiny homes. I was into tiny homes uh, 
some years back and I was introduced to it. And my impression is that a lot of it, uh, a lot of uh, the interest uh, was in Portland. I, I've actually lived in uh, a tiny home uh, when I was visiting Portland a few years back. Is So in terms of housing, is it, are Portlanders trying to solve housing through tiny homes? Yeah, that's another thing that I noticed and just in my conversations with my sister, just walking around. That's become a, a new trend here is that people are building homes in their backyards, building little homes in their backyards. That's one aspect of it. And I, I do think they are building up different types of housing and really trying to infill available space, which I think is interesting, potentially promising from a from purely just increasing the supply of housing, which should help this problem. But I, I do think it's a possible um, remedy just just to um, just to keep housing affordability um, within reach of more people. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's jump into the book that you've been reading. Okay. The book on ending homelessness. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I also picked up just and, and just to kind of tease where I discovered the book, I am listening to a podcast about um produced by an organization in San Diego on homelessness, and they have the author of this book on one of their episodes. And so the podcast interview with that author is worth listening to but anyway that inspired me to purchase the book and so i'm currently reading i'm still working on making my way through it <clears throat> but he believes that homelessness is a problem with a solution that we can solve it and we should strive to solve it and i think um, i plan on really diving into the book and eventually um, having a deeper analysis on it that we can present here on the podcast in the future episodes but i think it might be interesting to talk about at the very beginning he gives a list of myths or lies that we believe about homelessness so do you mind if i just kind of read the list and we could talk yes, about it yes okay so number one is people need to graduate through a continuum of services that's myth number one Myth number two is people must be housing ready. Myth number three is some people are resist are service resistant or want to be homeless. Myth number four is prevention is the only way to go. And myth number five is many people are one pay away from being homeless. Myth number six is without building more affordable housing, there's nothing we can do. So that kind of speaks to what we just talked about. Um, myth number seven is social welfare is a waste of money. Myth number eight is people need to be sober to be successful in housing. Myth number nine is mentally ill people need to be in institutions, not in homes. Myth number 10 is street involved behavior and homelessness is the same thing. 11, if we do too good of a job, homeless people from all over will come for our services. 
12 is we have to end poverty if we're going to end homelessness. And 13, criminalization of homelessness works. So reading that list, did any of those myths ring, um, trigger anything in you? It's, um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, quite a few of them. Uh, like starting with the first one, continuum of uh, homelessness. Like they, they have to graduate through a continuum of um, of solution, um, as opposed to something like it, it can be fixed, like just a a one shot thing. Like the the way I understand this, like. For if I look at a uh, a homeless person and the way they get into homelessness, like in our interview with Pam, my my first thinking and maybe like these uh, myths uh, in there uh, uh, can be all, all uh, can point out to all the myths that I'm uh, telling myself, like. Uh, like the support system or poverty or the lack of skill. Um, and um, Pam didn't have a substance abuse problem. Um, so that those then doesn't come in. But is she, um, how, how would it help a person like Pam? And um, it's like, Going through home, is she home ready? Finding her, like, um, how do we? Uh, we're struggling with this. How do we help Pam? So does this myth blocking us from doing what's necessary? What is necessary? Um, yeah, yeah. I think this idea that you have to be home ready is a myth in and of itself. Like everybody's ready or everybody should have a home. And you don't need to transition from like, you have these transitionary, like you go from being on the street to being in a shelter, to being in like a transitional housing, to being in a home. <clears throat> That's kind of um, where you don't need to do that. You could just go right to the home, right to the end. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what is the point there. Like, <clears throat> And Can you, I, I think, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, this one maybe will be in your um, in your blog post because I'm just trying to picture like how that will actually work, and it probably explained in the book, and um, maybe you're not there yet. But I'm I'm looking forward to yeah. uh, the actual solution. Like it sounds like, let's just get them back into homes. Yes. Exactly. Why is that so hard? Yeah, yeah, that's that's the that's where the focus should be. Just get them into homes and don't worry about these transitional processes. But yeah, it's and, and that that bleeds into that people must be housing ready, and that's just a myth. Like um, everybody is ready for a house or mm -hmm. should have one. Um, some of the things you were you were talking about too in terms of she didn't like Pam doesn't have substance abuse problems. And that's also a myth that you should be sober to be house ready because 
the point he makes is we have far more people who consume alcohol than we have homeless people. Like if everybody who had problems with alcohol were homeless, we would have a lot more homelessness than we do. So okay. if you just think about it in those terms, it, it kind of breaks that and it kind of falls apart. Mm-hmm. And also not every homeless person is alcoholic either, as you pointed out with Pam. There's many who aren't. So that mm-hmm. those are not necessarily correlated at all. Um, so on and then there's the part about if you fix homelessness so well then all the homeless people will come to your neck of the wood (laughs) well I mean how why um, and it's why I don't uh, it I want to say it's a silly thing to think that, but um, but yeah, um, why do people think that? Yeah, I think there's a, a myth out there that homeless people kind of travel, that they go to the cities that have the best services oh, available. Okay. <laughs> and that's just not true. If you look at the data, most homeless people are long-time residents. <clears throat> Excuse me. Most homeless people are longtime residents of the cities that they're homeless in. So that's that's the, um, the basic essence of the myth. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Got it. <clears throat> yeah. And the big one for me is uh, I always sense that, you know, especially from Pam's uh, story, it's just reiterated that poverty is a big part of homelessness. If... Uh, like whether it's uh, if she's not one paycheck away, if uh, things whether it's more affordable, or she's able to have a a, a, a higher earnings, or there's some safety net, then they wouldn't have to be home, uh, out of a home. Yeah, no, that's a. Some of these are a bit counterintuitive. Um... I think the point he makes in the book is there are plenty of people who spend like 50% of their income on housing who make it work, who can keep in a home. I'm not saying it's that's easy thing to do. And I think, again, with alcoholism, drug abuse, mental health, or poverty, these are all, there is some causality between that homelessness, but uh, it doesn't mean that just because you're poor, you're going to end up homelessness. And there's plenty of people who are struggle with lifelong poverty who can keep themselves in a home. It's the the homeless problem is more complex. That's I think that's the point there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that there's usually a lot of different issues at stake. And so, like like we talked about last time. Poor people with strong support networks tend to stay in homes, right? So yes. Yeah. And and also, the opposite way of thinking about this is true too. You don't need to solve poverty to solve homelessness, and you don't need to um, affordable housing isn't a precondition either. Like you don't have to wait for affordable housing to solve homelessness. You can solve homelessness even in a city with very expensive housing. I'm not it would help I think having affordable housing would help but 
it shouldn't be the focus or that it shouldn't be the only thing for sure sure this um you know i took a class on system thinking and there's uh not um <laughs> so the point about system thinking and, and how it applies to uh at least the work that i do is that the system that we build the uh, it infrastructure that we build in our workplace and when a lot of times in a large system where we focus on uh, where it's owned by many teams where each team focus on one section of uh, the piece we tend to optimize um, that area and creates a, a local optimization within the system but in the whole it actually makes the system more vulnerable or weaker as a result and and outcome just uh, more when it when our system fails it fails very abruptly uh, it's less resilient and the point about system thinking and this one came out from Edward Deming's research into how production system works and the point is we have in 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 a system uh, there's some system that has feedback loops you can't really uh, isolate one area and try to fix that problem well you can but it may create a a, a problem that uh, the the best example is when they uh, in in the wilderness like if the concern is uh, livestock or deer's population in in the forest and so the result the action taken was uh, to remove the wolves or the predators uh, wolves specifically away from the the forest what happens is the the deer population can thrive but what ends up is there is uh, the overpopulation cause a overgrazing of the, the grassland and um, over a few season uh, because of overgrazing the grass can't grow back in time and the you get a sudden starvation and you get a a, 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 um, a a sudden drop in the deer population as a result so my concern is you know as we you know tackle a like homelessness problem and to me it's it's a very broad system problem um is there something like that if we focus on one specific area that can have unintended consequences into other parts that can cause something more fragile as a result yeah so i think you make a really great point and he does talk about that in the book complex versus simple systems mm. and he talks about in 
and one of the points he makes is that homelessness is, needs to be individualized, but each person is a complex system and the issue as a whole is a complex system. And we need to think about it in terms of a holistic system as we try to come up with solutions. I think that's a really good point that is mentioned in the book and something we should dive into in future episodes is thinking about homelessness as a effect of a, of a societal system that we all engage in. I think that's a really good point. Yes. Okay. Um, that's definitely a lot to dig into it. And um, Scott, I'm looking forward to uh, a blog post uh, that you're going to work on. Yeah, I, I definitely want to. I think writing, kind of reading, finishing the book and absorbing it well enough that I can write maybe at least one, if not multiple blog posts on this topic might really help solidify my thinking and it could lead to future interesting conversations down the road. Yes, and also in whether it's in the same blog post or I'm just uh, curious about your experience in uh, Portland as well, if you can share that, uh, some pictures and uh, a short uh, update on, on our blog, that would be nice as well. Yeah, I will. Yeah, it's kind of interesting okay. to see it from a different city, kind of how they're struggling in different ways. Yes. yes. And on my end, so looking at the data side, there is just an overwhelming ways to get into. Um, uh, I was looking and I I got overwhelmed very quickly. And so I went into uh, fidgeting or playing around with the, our logo. That felt a lot easier. And I procrastinated on the logo. So... Yeah. <laughs> So um, I, there was some uh, asymmetry in, in our logo. So it was bugging me and I finally fixed it. And mm -hmm. Today it's most symmetric left to right. <laughs> so finally uh, took oh. care of that. No, no, that's great. I think we're, we're making gradual incremental improvements on everything we do, so. Yes, and sometimes <clears throat> it's, it's hard to get the real things done and I procrastinate on yeah, stuff. <laughs> yeah. But we do look forward to getting more data analytics at Linux down the road too. So that will be exciting to see as we're able yes. to get into that. And I know, I have to. Procrastination temptations. I have to, I have to uh, yeah, fight that. Okay. Cool. All right, so I guess we'll call it um, good for here and look forward to more conversations in the future. Sounds good. Yes, thank you, Scott. All right, thank you. Have a great week.